Hello everyone, welcome to our podcast for Black History Month. In the next half hour, a few members of the UK ME Network will be discussing what this month means to us and recollect a few experiences in relation to celebrating this month. However, before that, the network will be discussing what we've done so far for this year. So let's start off with the introductions. Hi everyone, my name is Kamal. I'm standing BAME Secretary with Sarah and Nadine. And we've been in this role for a year now and we support the other UKME members. Hello, morning, afternoon. My name is Godfrey Bowerhin. I am the co-chair of the network with Shirelle, who will introduce herself later. Hi everyone, my name is Sherelle Adams and I'm the co-chair of the UK Me Network alongside Godfred and I've been co-chairing the network for about two years now and yet. Hello everyone, my name is Rose Marie, I'm deputy co-chair of the UK ME Network. Hi, I'm Eunice Elazani. I work for the Pensions Board, I'm currently business systems and compliance manager. I've been working for the NCIs for almost seven years now and I am a member of the UK ME group. Hello everyone. <laughs> um, so let's start with the discussion. Um, what have you felt that we have done so far as a network? What have, what have been our achievements this year so far? Well, I think we've keeping going has been a huge achievement because when we first started, it, it almost started organically as a, re as a reaction or response to a conversation that had started a little while before then. Um, and because it had started so quickly, I think it sort of knocked everyone off. Okay, like, wait, why, what's going on here? You know, where are all these people from? And, and, and why are we having these conversations now that have never been had before? And that, that created... Um, folks coming together, becoming quite solidified, and other folks starting, but then because of outside uh, situations and pressures, um, to be honest, yes, some negativity as well, folk kind of got scared and, and pulled away, um, leaving even a smaller group of people. But then I think over the past two years or so, maybe more, um, there has been a real growth in, in terms of uh, getting in contact with people, um, getting the, uh, the senior management chief chief officers involved, um, telling them, you know, we've been here and we think this is a really good thing. This is what a good organisation looks like, nurturing staff networks, um, and you need to be on top of that. It's very not, no good us saying we're a good group of people. You have to say from, from where you're standing this is what a good organisation looks like, not just... And I suppose it filters from top down as well, it doesn't really it? It really does. Oh, my gosh. And it really did make a difference, I think. Shirelle and I were in a number of conversations where, you know, after those conversations, things seemed to move a little bit more smoothly. It was just very odd. Um, but odd in the sense of, you know, wow, all it took was that conversation and now... You know, people are not afraid to talk to us. People yeah. are not afraid to turn up at meetings. Whereas before, that was actually a real thing. So I think that involvement, engagement has has really grown. That's been a huge thing. Um, and visibility as well. And networking with other networks, yeah. I think also the 
influences from outside of the organisation with what happened with um, Taking the Knee, yes, with George Floyd. Yes, yes, then subsequently yes, yes. we had the Panorama like, <clears throat> yeah. documentary come out. So that's highlighted us and brought us to the forefront as well. Yeah, I mean, Sarah, I, I joined um, the Church of England in September, you know, coinciding with the events that you've just, you've just mentioned. And I saw the network advertised on Gateway. And I thought, <laughs> I know the COE has a reputation for staff being of a certain demography. And so I need to join this network for solidarity, for support, and also for some guidance. And so for me, joining the church during COVID, where you were really distant from people anyway, it was really powerful to, to form this collective, to be a member of this network of people like me, you know, which really enabled me to stay anchored um, to, to the organization. But in terms of your question about what we've done, I mean, what have we not done this year? Um, I'm surprised by how much we have been able to achieve, given that we've, we've, we've had to deal with COVID as a network and all our work has been, has been virtual. I'm, I'm sure we'll have the opportunity to, to, say, to say more. But I mean, Kamal, you, you have been behind quite a lot of the work that we've done. With regards to achievements, I definitely feel as though, maybe not quantifiable, but South Asian Week, uh, um, sorry, month, I felt we got, a, with regards to engagement, I feel like that was really good. A lot of people outside the network got in contact with us and the contributors, and it, it did feel like following on from uh, some of the turbulent things that happened throughout the year, that was a, that was a, a lighter, very engaging time to um, involve people outside of the network within the NCIs to ask more questions. And also to show that it's not just about people of African or Caribbean heritage. Um, and I think that's really important, you know, um, and having, having people who were not necessarily part of the executive but part of the wider membership. I mean, we've, we, we have somebody like that here already, so I'm sure he'll be able to speak to his experience. Um, but I really think it's important to, to, to demonstrate that as a, as, a, as a network and to encourage it as well. And one of the things that I think I've been really happy about what the network has done over the last two years was recognising and celebrating cultural history. So this year was the first time we recognised and celebrated South Asian Heritage Month. And obviously it's a new thing. I think it started two years ago. Um, so being able to bring awareness to it and celebrate it um, doing, putting on events and producing articles and etc., and also celebrating Black History Month as well. Um, just bringing a lot more awareness to it and doing stuff to celebrate it. I think that's been a, one of the great achievements of the network. I mean, I can't really comment in relation to the South Asian network that's come about. I mean, it's relatively new. I've not had much involvement in it. But I'm, you know, I'm open for all the different types of networks coming forward because again, it's bringing change, yeah. and it's bringing awareness as well, which is great. And I think we we all live in or around London, so a very diverse place. So it's great to see that the differences it's of these things. It's being represented. Yeah, it's being yeah. represented yeah. as well. A lot yeah. more and more and more has come to the forefront, which is brilliant. Yeah. Um, me myself, I'm Moroccan, so I'm African. 
we don't really have a group. It's a bit of a weird one. I sit in a kind of grey area. You're in our group. You're in the UK. Yes, as a general group, but in terms yes. of representing Arab culture or North yeah. African yeah. culture, yeah. there isn't really something there. So it would be great because, again, we have a big influence if you think about food. Oh, yeah. You know, couscous. Yeah. Tajines, a lot of people follow this. So there's a big culture and a lot to represent there, but we don't necessarily have a network. Um, and I guess it's probably because we're quite scattered across England. We don't necessarily have a big community in a certain place other than a small community within West London. Um, so me, myself, personally, I feel a part of every community because I'm a yeah. Londoner, which is why I love, I love, you know, Black History Month, what you said yeah. in relation to South Asian, yeah. you know, network that's coming forward. For me, I just like culture. Yeah. I like to understand and I like to be a part of different cultures and experience people's lifestyles and what they think, yeah. you know, is their day to day and what's normal for them. And it, a lot of the time it's normal for you too. Mm-hmm. You relate yeah. to everyone. Uh, and that's, that's from my perspective anyway. Uh, we have to mention the work that we did with the task force. Yeah, that actually felt quite seminal. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why it's important to have the staff networks. That's why it's important that we have so many voices within our UKME network because, you know, the the task force was able to come to us and say, okay, what's been your experience? And the thing that actually really moved me, moved me to tears, okay, I'm just going to go out there, it did move me to tears, was that there... For me, since I've joined, now I think I've been here for the longest on in this group. So I've I've been here for about oh no, you've been here longer than I have, haven't you? Oh yes. Okay, all right. Okay. So seniority, seniority in the room. You show respect to seniority in the room. Um, But to me, that was the first time that people of UK ME heritage gathered in one place and spoke their truth without fear that it was going to come back at them or undermine them in a different way. And, you know, there was some positive stuff said, but there were things that were really disturbing. And and you would never know, because I think this is part of who we are as a as a as a wider diasporan people even though we're under the hammer, when we catch up with one another, it's the smiles, it's the affirmation, it's the hugs. And it's really important to have that. But also the task force were able to pull out of that and contextualise the research that they, were, that they were doing as well. And I thought, I think that's very important because when you saw the report, you could almost see some of the stuff that we talked about in the, between the lines. And that was very, that was very affirming. Because I think we, this year, we made a conscious decision that we don't only want to represent ourselves and be represented, but actually we want our voices to be heard strategically around what the NCIs are doing about the needs of staff members like us. Um, And so helpfully and thankfully, there's been good engagement from the senior leadership team as well, especially Gareth, who's really usually checked in with us and and listened to us and ensured that we have access to feed information and our experiences to him and and for it to have an impact in in how the NCIs go about their work with with being that's right we've really felt Gareth's presence in our meetings as well so that I think has been a really big achievement having someone from the senior level 
recognising us, recognising what we're doing and actually being part of that change as well. Sherelle and I had had a, initial conversations with Gareth, didn't we? And it, one of the things that um, we found um, and we talked about was his willingness to learn and be yeah. told when he's cocked it up. Yeah. The, the fact is, in organisations, people in the higher echelons, if they're wrong, no one tells them. <laughs> Especially if they're perceived on just sort of regular levels. And he was like, look, I don't know everything, but I am willing to learn stuff I know some stuff and you know I've been sending him links and podcast links and and articles and so forth and Shirelle and and Godfrey I know that you speak with 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 Gareth quite regularly that that openness has that wasn't there before and and it does make a difference Uh, we've been really grateful because Gareth has been very supportive of the network Mm -hmm. and what we want to achieve and you can see his determination to to just help drive the network forward and support us in our objectives. And we need that commitment from senior leadership. Um, it's really important. So, yeah. And and this, this is actually a call out to people listening to the podcast who would identify themselves as UKME. This is a call out to you to come and join the network because it's only through strength in numbers that we can really ensure that our voices are heard and that the needs of UKME staff are really known, articulated, and then something done about it. So there's always time for a sales pitch. Come and join us. <laughs> Just get in touch and speak to Sherelle, Godfred. And another thing which I've been proud of what the network's done, or I've enjoyed it, is us hosting our conversations with senior leaders from external organisations. So that's a new thing that we've done as a network this year. We've had about three different conversations and As a result of the pandemic, we've hosted them on Zoom as a webinar, which I think has worked really well in terms of people being able to see it and hear the conversations. So this year we invited Sonia Barron, who worked on, yeah, who talked about her work on the anti-racism task force and producing the anti-racism task force report. That was an amazing conversation. That was a really good Having the insight from the other side. Yeah. yeah, And I think also in terms of participation, Godfrey had touched on this and Sherelle and so forth, is that we get the impression sometimes that participation means that you have to be vocal all the time yeah. and, and not everyone is that person. And one of the things that I've been really thankful for and encouraged by is, Kamal, your input because you are quietly thinking and strategically thinking and you put in a question you ask really good questions by the way (laughs) (laughs) but you're not necessarily someone who's going to be jumping up there on platform and doing stuff but you do ask really good questions and sometimes people think oh in order to be visible and to be part of an organization you have to be vocal but more importantly I think is that you have to be present and you know you sign up to something and you are present even if it's just to hear what other people are going through what other people are thinking what other people are doing on the down low on the quiet that's making a huge difference and so I think that whole spectrum of personality activity and input 
is something that's really important to to celebrate and acknowledge. So, yeah, thank you for being you, sir. Thank you, Rosemary. No, um, with reference to the Anti-Racism Task Force, even though it is an achievement of ours and we're rightly commending ourselves, I did feel a big pressure at the time because, you know, the criticism always levied to us is, oh, BAME Network, UKME Network, what do you do? And I do feel a pressure to, you know, make sure we're pushing as hard as we can, you know, but now being on the inside, it's like, it's not easy, you know, and it's about separating the time and um, just being persistent and understanding it might even be something that you don't agree with, but as a group, as a network, we need to have a united front and um, probe. And uh, thank you for noticing that. I'm good at probing, I like to say. Yeah, um, as you rightly said, you know, uh, to people that's listening, if you're unsure what contribution you can make, it's good to start as a BAME secretary just so you can support those that's been part of the party or the network for a longer period. And then you can grow into the role, as I feel like me and Sarah have, um, have done during our time as secretary. And I'm really happy that the leadership team has grown since last year because it was just, just it was just me and Rosemary holding the fort and it was just like what can we achieve just the two of us? Yeah, because we yeah because yeah. we, so, we quite we quickly whittled down to that, didn't yeah. we? For so, general people circumstances. Godfred came along and he joined yeah. the network as a co-chair. And Godfrey's been amazing as a co-chair in leading and supporting the network and just bringing different insight and vision and with his experience as well. So we've really, I think we've really progressed and benefited a lot with Godfrey's work. And Sarah and Kamal have joined on board. And yeah, it's just like, it's a lot easier to do things when you've got more people contributing and helping out and just... Just get different, different ideas, yeah, different, different skills, ideas. different ideas, yeah. Yeah, just so I think that's table. why we've been able to achieve a lot of the stuff that we have done. So if anyone wants to get on board, <laughs> <laughs> there's still space. So, yeah, come and join. But also I think that because of all those elements, the things that Sarah has mentioned and Sherelle and Kamal and even Godfrey as well, it means that all those elements put together means that people who are joining the network, even just as membership, it's not so easy to pick them off, which was what was one of the issues when we first started, that people felt fearful for their jobs. Let's be honest here. People were fearful for their jobs and how they're perceived within their department. And now that we have done and we are doing, there's number one, there's more of us. We're collectively more participatory. We have senior management, chief executive officer support and and proper support, not just talk and visibility, but actually, no, because no, let's be honest. You ever say, oh, I'm I'm up there with you. And then when you look around, MIA, you know, where where were you, Rasta? Um, (laughs) I'm behind you and it's like, no, 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 I'd much rather you were in front of me. (laughs) That way I know what you're doing. We've we've had two new advocates for the network join this year. So that's been really, that's been really... And that's really amazing. And I think that when you find that, that anyone who's joining knows that there may be people around you who are uncomfortable with the fact that you're doing that's just how life is but it's not going to be so easy for you to be picked off because you have people in the house and they're and we're visible (laughs) can we now discuss our experiences our lived experiences of what it means to being black asian 
Arab, <laughs> and the challenges we've faced or even celebrations that we've had. So anyone want to start this conversation off? As we touched on earlier, this has been quite a turbulent year, beginning with the actions in America with George Floyd, then all the way to the Panorama episode. And before, I always thought I would come to work, keep to myself, because I came here on a three-month contract, so I didn't think I'd be here for long. And I never thought to in line with a group um, such as the UKME Network. But as Godfrey touched on earlier, there's power in numbers. And you not only hear the experiences of others and are able to align yourself with them, but also take strength in um, knowing that there's support, you know. And it's also a good way of connecting with people across the floors, which is interesting as I joined during uh, lockdown (laughs) when we don't see anyone. (laughs) And now I feel like the people I know in Church House has more than doubled, you know. And I know some people in... Lambeth Palace as well. So I think the way you framed the question is uh, my experience is here. And yeah, I can say in the last year, it's been, or my horizons have broadened. It's It's your your life experience. Okay. What it means to you. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I've been black my whole life, so (laughs) not much much has changed there. Not much has changed there, but... um, I, I think it's worth answering this question from using the reference point of George Floyd, actually. As Kamal said, I've been black all my life. (laughs) But I'm going to use that as my reference point because for me, as a a black person, until then, you had no legitimacy to talk about racism, right? You had no no reason, you know, who, who the hell are you to say that I've experienced racism? But with George Floyd, what that man gave his life for is really that legitimacy. Me too. I can say this is actually what it is like, literally and metaphorically, having someone's knee, not one person, but institution's knee on your neck. And when you do say, you're killing me, they say, Can't breathe. Who the hell are you to say I'm killing you? And that's what George Floyd did. And I think that's what, Cheryl, you made that point, actually. That is what gave us energy to say, actually, we got to speak, right? We got to speak. We got to say to you, take your bloody leg off my neck, right? Because we're human. And that, that is what George Floyd did. And that's where, when I talk about my experiences, I'd like to use that as a reference point, even though I've been black all my life. And I think most black people will say to you, that was a real reawakening, not awakening. It was a real reawakening to say, guys, we've got to get those knees off our necks. Yeah, because when I first saw that video, I remember the actual time when I first saw it and my sister showed it to me. And I watched it and I was, I was just so disgusted I was upset I was just like what is going on how can this be happening in broad daylight like in broad daylight and nobody could do anything about it and I was just so upset by it and I remember I called Rosemary and I said we need to say something about this as a network we need to say something we can't just be quiet this is something we need to speak up about and just highlight it and just 
bring it to people's awareness and it just highlighted the systemic racism that is still going on today. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, not just in America, it's in this country as well because it happens here too. There's lots of incidents which happens and, and I think a lot more of those incidents were highlighted after the murder of George Floyd. And we saw a lot of those like being brought to awareness in the news where people from England were experiencing systemic racism. So yeah, I think it brought a lot more awareness and and, and I think that's the celebratory aspect of this for me, actually. Yeah. And it's, it sounds almost, it sounds strange to say that. A weird silver lining. Yeah. 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 I think it was definitely a trigger point, like you said. Mm. That kind of escalating is a domino effect where it brought things to the forefront. Mm. I think it's obviously relatable for a lot of people as well. And like you said, he was quite upset. Mm. So I think for a lot of people I spoke to about the situation, is it brought up memories they had. Yes. Not necessarily yes. of, yes. Yes. you know, a knee on a neck. Mm. But yeah. instances along their lives where they felt, if I had done something prior to this point, would we have reached this situation? Yes. If things were brought yeah. to the forefront, because yeah. a lot of the times it was, I don't want to say anything, I don't want to say anything. Yeah. And now a man has passed away. If we had collectively got together and said something prior to this point, would that have been able to happen in America, in the, wherever it may be, regardless of the country? Yeah. So I think that's what it was. I think it was a lot of guilt as well, yes. thinking, yes. could I have done something more prior to this point? But like you said, strength in numbers, which mm -hmm. is starting to happen now. You know, mm -hmm. various yeah. groups are popping up. People are actively saying their experiences. Mm -hmm. and, and it is an uncomfortable topic for some people at times, mm -hmm. especially if they haven't experienced it or if they're not used to having these conversations because sometimes people don't know how to respond. Mm -hmm. You know, if you come forward with a case of active racism towards you mm -hmm. and you've never experienced that, you're trying to put yourself in someone's shoes, but you've never experienced it, so it's very difficult to do that. You try to be empathetic, but are you really, or are you just saying the things you think you should say? Mm, Does that make yeah, sense? Which a lot of yeah. times can be the case. You know it's yeah. right to say these things, but yeah. are you really empathetic because you've never experienced it? So how much empathy can you have? Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's, that's it. So you see in the outcry from people, you know, especially when there was a whole Black Lives Matter you yes. know, movement, and then yeah, some yes. people not understanding it. You know, you go to crowds, and they'd be booing mm. when people are taking a knee, mm -hmm. booing various bits, but is it ignorance? Is it a lack of empathy? Or is it just because they've experienced it from themselves and don't understand it? Mm -hmm. So is it educating them? I do not know. I guess this is what's, what's now happening, the education from others. Yeah. And people also being resilient and continue to do it as well, which is brilliant, because a lot of the time something would happen, it would be and two to three months, yeah. and then it would stop. Yes. It yes. would stop, yes. and it would be forgotten about, and something yeah. else would be brought mm -hmm. to the forefront, which is mm -hmm. now more important than that. But this time around, what I've seen is a big difference. It's been consistent. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's been consistent. It's been a consistent push to make a change from everyone, regardless of what you do, your status, your job, your background. It's been a consistent approach from all globally. And I've never seen like this before, which is great. Globally. It's been yeah. globally, not, not, not globally, not, not a city, not a town. It's been global and at the same time, which is brilliant. And this is the first time in my lifetime. I mean, I'm 32, but it's the first time I've ever seen anything like that. It's weird for me because my heritage, I'm multiple things. I'm Mediterranean, I'm African, I'm Arab, mm. you know, I am a mixture of things. So I relate to all, yeah. you know, I'm North African. Yeah. So I relate to various cultures and backgrounds so that I understand at times when people are saying they're not too sure what to do because 
their life and their path in their life and their walk has not been the same as mine. Mm -hmm. So I can't expect them to be completely empathetic. But what I do want is people to educate themselves and not be ignorant and understand, at least understand. And then over time you can build. That's what education is, 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 is is the utmost key there because people haven't, they, if you're not educated from a young age to understand diversity, or if you're not from a diverse background or you've not lived in, in a diverse city, you're none the wiser. It's, it's inevitable. I would be, I think, if I had never experienced snow, I wouldn't know what snow looked like or how it felt. Or even what to do when it or felt. Or what to do when it felt. I'd probably, yeah. I'd, I'd probably, I'd probably yeah. clam up and, yeah. oh, it's snow, what do I do now? Which can be the case. And sometimes I think we need to make sure that we as well don't get anger off the back of that and at that yeah. point say, now's a good time to educate this individual. And have those conversations. And have those conversations, yeah. which is being done. Yeah. You know, this podcast... Yeah various scenarios there's various things popping up now and i'm seeing okay these this is being done this is Mm. these conversations are being had Mm. let's talk about the celebrations (laughs) i want to know i want to know the good things (laughs) before can i can i just sort of give a bit of context because i think that it's important to talk about the celebrations but there is a context so it's just occurred to me that i'm probably the oldest in this group i I wouldn't be so confident of that (laughs) You was the youngest Rosemary, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm never sending that check to you, right? <laughs> you just wasted. But it's it's. But I have been actively doing the education, the facilitating of the conversations, doing the training of folk. I've been doing that since I was 23. I'm now 54, and what was described as this, this new shift is really new but I'm still withholding judgment because I've seen this before. The thing that I haven't seen, which was really interesting to me, especially the demonstrations, was the, was the demographic of the demonstrators. Yeah, yeah. It was much more multi-ethnic, it was much younger, yeah. and those people are not playing. Yeah. So if we who are in positions of where we can have conversations and do the education bit, that is really important. If we don't get it right in this couple of years, we have no legitimacy on the field. Yeah. That's number one. Number two, what I now know is that the passing on of the education that has been done consistently for at least the past 30 years, mm-hmm. so while you were a toddler, darling, <laughs> there seems to be a gap in the education, is that what we have learnt and what we've taught in terms of educating people hasn't been passed on. There hasn't been the valuing of that information and passing on, but there's an opportunity for that to be now. Such has been the impact of George Floyd's lynching, his murder, lynching, you know, public lynching, in a way that none of us has seen. We've read about it in various ways, but we've never seen it. But I think social media has a part to play. And we were all at home. Where's everyone going? We were, everyone was in their pajamas, you know, chomping on a bit of toast. It's really important to remember that there was a difference. We were all made to sit and that we didn't have anywhere else to go. So those, to me, those are the things that are part of that celebration the things that we are knowing, the boldness to say, I'm not telling you anything because everything you need to know is already in the public domain. Go start your education. I now say to organisations, what is the knowledge level of your group? What is the commitment level? What's the knowledge level? I am not coming to talk to you. I'm not coming to do work with you until you can give me a satisfactory answer. Boom. Automatically, you separate from the jokers, 
from the people who are actually on board. And to me, that feels really empowering. It's really celebratory. And for people who have felt up until now, eh, I don't really want to get involved. I want to get too vocal. I don't want to seem a bit too great. They're sort of to go like, hey, listen, if that's happened to you, that can happen to me. People within families are saying, oh, well, you know, we know when I was coming around to your house. And But I yeah. think the difference now is that, yes, these conversations have been had since the 70s, the 50s, 60s, 60s exactly. Yeah. But the difference now is that everyone's more accountable. Social yeah. media has yeah. made accountability. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, I think that's the main change here, and I think that's what people are using to their, to their strength now. Yeah, and that's something yeah. to celebrate. That's yeah. right. That's, that's something right. to celebrate. And, and you, know, you know, Sarah, for me, part of this celebration now, if I look around, even as a, as a black man, is the range of talent out there that I'm now seeing, right? Yeah. And you think, well... Previously, what, yeah, exactly. What I used to, but what I used to hear, Rosemary, was, oh, we can't find the right people, right? Why is there such lack of diversity in this organization, right? And that would be the excuse. But actually, we now know that the talent is there, yeah? We know because you, as an organization, need to do that job of going out there and finding the talent rather than using the age-old excuse of, you know, we can't find him. Do we have to lower our standards, Godfrey, to, to sort of have diversity? No, you don't, actually, because... And again, we, social media pays a part to that yeah, because yeah. everything's out in the open. Everything's... You put a Google search and put someone's name in, put someone's... Exactly. You know. I was shocked at what was out there. I'm like, what's going on? <laughs> but you were saying, so are you talking about celebratory stuff? So what sort of things were you thinking about? From my own experience, in second, no, even before that, primary school, we just made friends with a family who'd moved into the area. She, um, she converted to Islam, mm -hmm. and so that was our common ground. Mm -hmm. But she was of Jamaican heritage, and they became our second family. They were at our house. My mum could hardly speak English at that point. And so we conversed. We had the same common ground of food, mm -hmm. sharing you know, the same culture values, values of family lifestyles. You know, she was there throughout thick and thin. We shared recipes. My mum learned how to make jerk chicken and rice and peas, and we taught her how to make different curries. And so, and when we needed someone, she would be the one that was there. She was our second family until she moved back to Jamaica, but... I found the celebration there that we, we, we made our own little family in the area. And growing up in South East London, we didn't have many ethnic minority people. So um, that was good to have her on our doorstep. And what was your favourite recipe, Sarah? <laughs> I have to say it was the jerk chicken, but I like it spicy. <laughs> I did. I have made ackee and saltfish, so listen out for the... Yeah, we're going to publish some juicy recipes on the gateway. Yeah, but we're not sharing the one that Sarah made. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'll bring it in next time. No, 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 no. Aki is expensive. You cannot, you cannot be feeding the whole NCIs with that. I know, I didn't realise. I said to Kamal afterwards, oh my God, I've spent a small fortune on this. It better be nice, but it was delicious. <laughs> it was delicious. My daughter took two helpings of it. And can I just say, I made Sarah's butter chicken recipe from South Asian Heritage yes, Month, and it was delicious. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, thank you for sharing that. I yelled to my mum, she was like, is this all you bring? Yeah. <laughs> I myself, we myself, you're on your own. <laughs> okay. you can, 
Actually, really, did thank you so much for that. Because that was yeah, really welcome. lovely. You're welcome. Delicious. I'm glad Delicious. people enjoyed. Yeah, that was great. So let's talk about the music. We can't not have this conversation and not talk about the music. Yannis, do you want to start us off on that? Who's your favourite artist? My favourite artist? <laughs> From... Actually, it does relate to this because I listen to a lot of Afrobeats. Okay. So oh. I listen to a lot of you know, African-influenced music, predominantly from Nigeria and Ghana. So yeah. I listen to a lot of Wizkid. I listen to a lot of Burna Boy. So a lot of the music I listen to has a lot of a Nigerian influence, um, which is interesting um, because yeah. you'd think I'd probably listen to stuff that's more in relation to my culture, but it just doesn't, I guess... No, I, man, you're a Londoner. That, I'm a Londoner, know, yeah. I know. So I did actually see Burna Boy not too long ago at a festival, which was pretty good. Burna Boy and coffee. Yeah, it was a festival in Cambridge. My friend got the tickets. He's um, really big now. Yeah, I yeah, saw him. He was there for a good hour and a half. Before that, I saw Kofi. Kofi? She's also, she's Jamaican. Yes. She's a really yeah. big artist. Great I actually artists. preferred her to Burna Boy Live. Yeah. Burna Boy Live wasn't as good as he is on the track, but he's still good. Um, it's a good experience. So the whole festival itself had a lot of uh, an African Caribbean influence. So there's a lot of small African Caribbean artists there, um, which is great because that's kind of the, in- the music I listen to on a day-to-day basis. So that's my driving music. Sometimes I do listen to UK stuff, but a lot of the stuff I listen to is very much global. Mm. A lot of reggaeton, so Hispanic influence, mm. um, a lot of African influence music, a lot of... Um, we need to get this guy to do a mixtape for us. <laughs> yeah. I have a really good Spotify playlist. I listen to a lot of French music as well. French yeah. influenced, yeah. African French influenced music as well as... Jazz fusion. Yeah, yeah, like fusion and, and a, lo- a lot of yeah. different things. I like, I like to hear different sounds. For me, it's yeah. how it makes me feel. Yeah. And all of these yeah. things are very upbeat and uplifting. But I won't yeah. continue. I'll let someone else talk about theirs. <laughs> <laughs> What yeah. about you, Sarah? What, what's your stuff? Oh, well, being a 90s child, we we grew up on the influence of, I know this is a cliche, but Tupac and Biggie. So we, even now, I'm getting my daughter into it, Michael Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> but not, not the Tupac and Biggie. Gra- grandparents, grandparents are not going to like that. <laughs> not going to like that. But more Michael Jackson. So that's a bit more PG. But um, yeah, that, that was my playlist and it still is now. And we compare, me and my husband, we compare the, the rappers of today and still, Tupac and Biggie, no one can yes. compete. No. <laughs> so that's, that's mine. It's a bit of a cliche, but... Yeah, in terms of social commentary, but in terms of just rap skill, I think like Sugar Hill Gang, those people from the 80s, those are the kings and queens of the rap scene. <laughs> it was based on lyricism yeah. back then, whereas now it's based more on just the sound and mm. what's mainstream. That's actually that's yeah. true, you know, yeah. 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 Now it's the sound, yeah. But even as a person, his quotes so relevant even today. Tupac Shakur, like he was ahead of his time. His quotes are still relevant today. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Cheryl? I'm I'm a big music person. I love my music. <laughs> my music gets me through the day. Gets me on my commute. Oh, now I'm only doing it one day a week. But yeah, I love music. <laughs> I love music. So yeah, there's a lot of. Um, Afro beats, like Yona said, I like Afro beats, hip hop, R and B, pop. I've got a really wide taste of different genres of music. Like, um, if it sounds good, then I like it. But I think current, in terms of current artists, one of my most favorite artists is Lauren Hill. Yes. And yes. yeah, I went to. I went to see her in concert in 2018 and she doesn't really come over a lot or she hasn't come over for 
ages. So when I saw that she was coming over, I was like, I need to get a ticket no matter how much it costs. And I was able to see her. And I just feel her music is like the lyrics. She's a rapper and she's a singer. So she's very talented in her, in how she sings and how she raps. I just feel like the lyrics and what she talks about in her songs, it's very real. And she brings a lot of issues. There's personal stuff. There's a lot of things what she talks about in society. Yeah. I listen to Lauren Hill. What I find interesting is that my girls who are in their 20s, yeah. you know, who were not born mm. when, I, when Lauren Hill came onto the scene, yeah. are listening to their stuff and, cor- and correcting me on the lyrics like, yeah. I don't know what the <laughs> lyrics are. Hello. But, um, but yeah, yeah. Because yeah. her album, The Miseducation of Lauren Hill, Hill, which came out, I think, over 25 years yes. ago, yes. it's like it's still relevant now. Absolutely. All the songs that you still enjoy it. And, yeah. This so. is what I say. They don't make music like oh, they used no. to. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> no, we don't. How, how about... How about you, Kamal? What do you, what do you, what do you listen to? Uh, what gets well, you through your commute? What, what are young people listening to these? From your bedroom to your desk. <laughs> With Black History Month in mind, uh, before hip-hop consumed me, I was thinking of all the music my mum used to play. So there's some Sizzler in there. There's some Garnet Silk in there. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm not as young as my face suggests. I'm not as young as my face suggests, yeah. But it's crazy to think that that is... Black history, because, yeah, they're all... These albums that you're talking about are 20, 25 years old, and it's, that is black history. Yeah, no, so I don't like Afrobeats. So I don't want to be controversial, guys. So I don't, don't really like it, but... <laughs> How do you get through cooking if you don't listen to Afrobeats? I've actually yeah. used some of those soundtracks for yeah, my cooking. Yeah, on your, your, yeah I've, I've noticed. I feel, oh, look at Sarah, <laughs> Yeah. Not for me, but um, <laughs> yeah. No, obviously, when yeah, when I was young, it was reggae through the house. Yeah, still put on Sizzler every now and then. Yeah, I love a bit of Sizzler. For the long drive, yeah, definitely. For the long drive. <laughs> what about you, Godfrey? It's a cliche, but you've got to mention Bob Marley's name yeah. if you're if you're talking about black favorite artists, Black History Man. Yeah, so yeah. I've got I've got to I've got to slap his name on the table <laughs> like a domino. <laughs> slap it on the table like a domino. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But he's another one that's so relevant today as well. Yeah. Absolutely. Exactly. You know, so he's got to be mentioned. Lots of Afrobeat. Don't know whether anyone has heard of DJ Neptune. I'm Ghanaian, so I shouldn't be picking up a Nigerian. That's controversial, you know. I don't want, I don't want to bring the whole Jollof rice war into that. <laughs> but yeah, but so DJ Neptune, lots of Ghanaian Afrobeats. Has anyone heard of High Life, Ghanaian High Life? Oh, you've got it. It's like music from the sort of late 60s right to the mid 80s. And it's music of people singing from the soul with a bit of heartache wrapped in it. Check it out. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Before we finish, I just have to mention a few UK artists as well that haven't mentioned. Oh, people awesome. that are making a change. People like Dave. Ah, oh, yes. I love Dave. Yeah. People like Akala, who yes. Akala. for a long time. We have yeah. to mention Akala. Yeah. And these are people who are very commercial now, but yeah. still yeah. not afraid to say what they're thinking, yeah. which is brilliant, because that's, that's never true. been the case. Yeah. And yeah. they are making a big change, and a change in community as well, mm-hmm. because a lot of people look up to these 
artists, especially mm. the younger generation coming through, Absolutely. which will be great for them in the future because they won't be afraid because their idols are already making it. Are really bold, so, yeah, 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 uncompromising. Yeah. And they're really changing the stereotype as well around yeah. there. Yeah. You know, previously where you think of black artists and they were depicted in particular yeah. ways. Yeah. Now these are people who have social conscience, you know, and actually yeah. are yeah. political. And finely tuned intellect as well that comes exactly. out in all yeah. their work, which yeah. is, yeah. And Akala's got a great book out, Natives, oh, which is a yeah. best. The man is so smart, Akala. You to hear him speak, yeah. it's, it's unbelievable. My copy of that book is, is not fit for public now. I saw it, it's yeah. highlighted and inscribed the stuff and I'm constantly pulling stuff out of it when I do as questions for stuff that I facilitate and people go oh wait where did you get that from go out and get it (laughs) well thank you everyone for your conversation and um, thank you for those listening take care bye bye thank you so much